0: Hello, hello. Welcome to episode three of Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and we have a great show lined up for you here. We are going to have an extensive interview with best selling author Steve Hamilton, whose new book, Exit Strategy, is scorching up the charts here. And uh, in addition to that, we'll hear from uh, our sponsor, from some uh, bookstore owners, uh, and get a little bit of an author update uh but let's uh let's dive right in let's uh let's go straight to the interview here today uh with uh, steve hamilton steve hamilton's first book called day in paradise uh won awards uh was very well received and launched his popular alex mcknight uh, series one of my favorite but more recently he's launched his nick mason series uh, beginning with The Second Life of Nick Mason and uh, now continuing in exit strategy. I was in the middle of uh, reading that the time that I interviewed him and then subsequently finished it. And I can tell you, it's a great read, uh, powerful, powerful book. And uh, if you don't have it yet, uh, you should go to the bookstore, the library, the Kindle, whatever, however you read your books, start reading this one. Uh, Anyway, so let's get straight to the interview and talk with Steve. (laughs) So welcome to the show, Steve, thanks for, for coming out. Thanks, Frank. I guess uh, let's, let's start at the end with uh, Exit Strategy. <laughs> okay. uh, just just came out and you've been touring behind it. Uh, how are things going? Things are going good, I actually just got home. So, um,
1: but it's always great to go out and do that because you know writing's a pretty lonely uh, undertaking and it's nice to just go out and remind yourself that people read this and they spend all this time with these characters.
0: Now, the character in uh, Exit Strategy is Nick Mason, and this is the second Nick Mason book. For those poor unfortunate souls who haven't read either of the books yet, um, can, you, can you lay out what, kind of what the premise is of, of this series? Sure. Uh, briefly, um, Nick Mason is a
1: career criminal who is doing hard time in federal prison. And if you imagine yourself in that position, you're in this place and you, you don't think you're ever going to get out. Imagine if somebody came to you and said, I'm going to get you out today. You're going to walk out the front door a free man and not just walk out, but you're going to walk into this whole new life. Um, you're going to have a townhouse on the north side on Lake Michigan. You're going to have a beautiful car. You're going to have money at the beginning of every month. You're going to have a beautiful roommate. The one catch is that anytime the phone rings, you have to answer it and do exactly what you're told to do, no matter what it is that's the setup in this first book as he finds out just what it really costs this freedom, the things that he has to do.
0: Now, I really enjoyed, uh, that, that book. In fact, you, you and, uh, whoever narrated, uh, the audio book, uh, kept me company while I was doing a whole lot of oh, okay. paint painting last summer, but, uh, I think, um... it did, a, did a great job. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. I haven't finished the, the the second one, Exit Strategy, yet. I'm in the middle of it, but I can tell you, for those people listening, it starts out, uh, you know, right in the middle of the action. Right? I mean, yeah, it uh, yes.
1: And this, you know, the whole point of the second book is that these missions that he goes out on is getting more and more dangerous and more and more brutal, and it's getting harder and harder for him to sort of hold on to the one piece of himself that he's been trying so hard to preserve. And, he's starting to feel himself turning into the machine. So he really, that's sort of where the title comes from, Exit Strategy. He realizes he just can't do this anymore.
0: So there's a, a character arc here about becoming somebody we don't want to become or asking who, who it is we truly are. Is that—is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, that's certainly a theme in this book. And it's not just Nick in this book. It's like really every major character in the book is sort of in his own prison and is trying to get out. Even, even Darius Cole, the mastermind made this deal, is engineering his own release from prison. Uh, everybody's trying to get out.
0: You and I have something in common, actually, uh, at least I, I think we do. Uh, I noticed at the beginning of the uh, first Nick Mason novel, you the epigram that you used was a Springsteen quote from yes. Darkness on the Edge of Town. So yeah. uh, am I to take from that that maybe you're a pretty big Springsteen fan yourself?
1: Uh, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I actually, there was a, a short story anthology of a few, a few years yeah. ago.
0: Trouble in the heartland.
1: Uh, no, it was called the, it was called the river. It was called meeting across.
0: Oh river. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's
1: right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, I had that one a too. Of, like, a dozen prime writers had to get together and each one of them wrote their own story that explained the lyrics of that very evocative song meeting. Across yeah. river. Um, and so it was really, so it was, it was great. And I, and I got to sign a book
0: to, Bruce Springsteen. So oh, they they sent him a copy of all the writers signing it yeah, or something. That was, or, that was so cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Um, that was a good. That was a good anthology. It was interesting because you have a song that really uh, is is kind of a noir story. And oh yeah, you know, right. a, as it's written, but uh, the takes on you know using that story as a jumping off point that all these different writers took were were just. Uh, uh, they went in so many different directions yeah, and, looked, yeah. and took it in so many different ways that the, it was just—it was really neat, uh, right. neat to see. Because it's really just about going across a river to meet the guy and give him
1: some money, and you know, you, you know, something's going on. You really don't yeah. know what. So everybody had their own take on it, like you said. And it's like, what river are we talking about? And when's the time? So you know, guys were about the Los Angeles River. And for me, I said it in the, in the Prohibition.
0: Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. You did um did you uh are you familiar with the other one that i mentioned the trouble in the heartland did you see that one when it came out i and i do know the one you're talking about i was i was not fortunate enough
1: to be a part of that one but
0: i think uh the big name author in that one was Den- i think dennis lahane uh, okay. actually contributed one to that so that's probably why i got him confused i knew you you had been in one mm-hmm. um, so have you been to many uh many springsteen shows is that uh, something you're able to do
1: uh, I have, you know, I've, I've never been able to catch him live yet. Oh, you better get on that, man! <laughs> I get that ain't too bad. That's not no, it's... not too bad a thing to do. But I just haven't yeah. uh, haven't gotten the chance. I've, I've seen uh... a lot of other of my favorite bands and, and and artists, but not but not Bruce.
0: Well, you're you're positioned pretty well to take advantage of a tour there in New York. So I, uh, I would I would strongly advise taking advantage of it's best best live show i've ever been to yeah all, he's, he's, a, he's a jersey boy so he's not that far away <laughs> so uh we started it at, at now but uh let's circle back around to kind of the beginning here uh your your first book uh, uh cold day in paradise featured uh, uh alex mcknight uh, he's one to me he's one of the more interesting uh, pi characters in the in the field in a pretty crowded field can you tell us a little bit about how that book came about and what you were doing when, when you were writing it? I mean, uh, uh, and then uh, the reception it got. I mean, I was trying to write a private eye novel and, and that book was not it,
1: by the way, that book um, was what happened after I totally utterly failed to write a private eye novel, just flamed out on the launch pad. Couldn't even get started. You know, I thought a private eye novel was, you know the classic setup with the guy in the office the the client comes in and he takes the case and he goes out trying to solve whatever the problem is find the person find the money find the whatever and he gets beat up and i you know i thought that's what private eye novel was and you can still do great stuff with that too that's you know this that 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 formula still works but i couldn't do it and so when i when i gave up this other sort of character and this idea was sort of there. It's like, what if I just take my, you know, I sort of had that feeling this is a former cop from Detroit. What if instead of trying to make him a private eye, I just make him be all by himself in the cabin in the most remote place that I know, which is, which is Paradise, Michigan, which is a real place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was just like, for some reason, that's, that story came to me where the private eye, what I thought was the private eye story, didn't. So I just followed that and it turned into this whole idea of um, no matter how far away you go, you can't run from your past and problems. And that's what the book is sort of all about.
0: I wonder if what you're describing is that whole concept of, you know, finding your own voice and writing your own story as opposed to. Sure. We all, we, we all, we all emulate when we start out. Yeah, exactly. You
1: know. And that's what I was exactly trying to do. I was trying to write another, you know, big sleep or, um, or even like a James Crumley, who was like a modern, my modern hero as a private eye writer. Even his books sort of start with the same I- basic idea: somebody who takes a little bit of money and goes out and solves somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. And I instead I had my my guy have to solve his own problem.
0: And and reluctantly at that, he's yeah. he does he doesn't he's he, he Alex Bignay he throws up some walls uh, even to people that he cares about. He's, yeah, although he's ultimately. Of he is a sucker for
1: somebody. Who, who
0: we, <laughs> if you need his
1: help, he's gonna do it. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. He, uh, you know, the reason I mentioned the Springsteen quote earlier uh, is that one of the things you know that that's made me a fan of the music is that while it's very realistic and, and it very much talks about heartbreak and hard times and 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 these darker emotions, there's always an underlying sense of of hope and of determination, and and I think that. When, I've, when I read Alex McKnight, that same sort of phenomenon is going on, that same dynamic mm-hmm. is going on. Uh, he, he's, he, he has some darkness there in his past, and, and dark things happen to him, but at the same time, you know he doesn't ever completely give up hope, and he always has that determination, that drive to continue on. Uh, and do what what he thinks is right for the sake of it being right and so I, yeah. I i think he created something pretty powerful there well thank you how 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 many i didn't count before i called you what, what are we up to on mcknight novels we're like eight now or somewhere uh, in there? there
1: there are ten books are in print and i just turned in number 11 so he's he is coming back
0: when would that
1: uh, be I the the shelf? Ex- don't have a exact date yet all i know is it's, it's turned in and it's done and maybe next fall i honestly don't know but um i'm looking forward to having him come back and going back out you know especially to michigan and where where he's from mm-hmm.
0: and just, it would just it'll it be great to have him back yeah i'm looking forward to it i I've, i came across uh the hunting wind one uh in paperback on a rack and uh at a at a rest stop or, uh, uh, not exactly a rest stop, the rest stop with restaurants and so forth a mm-hmm. road set yeah. stop. I was waiting for my mother-in-law to bring, uh, bring my kids back from visiting uh, over there in Montana. And I got there about an hour early and I forgot about the hour time difference. So I was really two hours early. So I started hunting the paperback rack and I found the hunting Win. and I thought, I never heard of this. This looks interesting okay. and started reading it. And, uh, I was hooked, which brings up a good point. Is every one of those McKnight books uh, clearly stands alone? You can pick up any of them and and read without having read the others, even though there's yeah, a. You'd be able to, yeah. yeah. But there's definitely a progression in that in that guy's story. I mean, from sure. beginning to the end. Uh, when When the Cold Day in Paradise was was released, you got a pretty good reception.
1: Yeah, you know, I was just trying to. I was just so thrilled to have made that dream come true and to write a book and have it come out. And, um, you know, a, a month after I find that out, I'm, I'm at Bouchercon, which is the big mystery conference. And I'm like, it's like, Oh my God, there's, there's Lawrence block over there. You know, it's like somebody who I just admired and, um, yeah, he's one of the best. Oh yeah. All these guys, it's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm supposedly one of these guys now. It just seemed real. Um, but and the book came out the next year and um you know, and it ended up winning the, the Edgar for best first novel and things just sort of took off from there and you know, it's it's just been the it's just been a blast. Uh it's been a great ride. Did you get to meet the uh, Lawrence Block were you oh, yeah, no, I know Larry no. Oh, I, I I know him pretty well. That's one of the nice surprises is it just how cool all these guys are. We uh-huh. mentioned Dennis before. Uh, and you know, I I know Lee Child pretty well now, and um, and Michael Conley and all these guys, they're just they're just the most down to earth, uh, generous, genuine people. Uh, maybe because they get to kill people in their books. Sort of work it out. But actually, um, back in I think it was 2000, Harlan Coben put together this thing with the Club Med, a location where they got all these crime writers together. So I actually got to hang out with Donald Westlake oh wow, and Ed, and Ed McBain and my own sort of writing hero, James Crumley, were all at a Club Med for a week. And it actually rained like every day and I didn't care because that, cause that, that just meant we got to just hang out, hang out in the bar and hear stories. And um, it was like two, it was that was one generation and then it was me and Dennis Lane and George Pelicanos and Harlan and Laura Lippmann. You know, we were sort of the, the the younger generation and it just it felt it was just the most amazing time just just to be around these guys. That is like a
0: dream come true there. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, really that's that's the kind of fantasy that somebody you're sitting with your writer buddy saying, you know, if we ever hit it big, it would be cool to hang out in a bar with. Exactly. Who would you want to hang out with? And that would be the list that you would come up with. Right. And we
1: all you know, we all we all had our, our spouses with us and um, just a week all expenses paid in the Bahamas, in the Bahamas, hanging out with your heroes it was just like the coolest thing
0: and they're also all of those writers you mentioned are so distinct in their own style i mean block yeah. Oh, yeah. block has a very distinct style and lehane is very literary in his approach and michael Conley is just very you know clean in, in his approach and it's right that's uh uh just as a side note you uh, do you, are you a fan of the scudder novels then that uh, oh, oh yeah i mean i think um I think uh,
1: my favorite one was probably When the Sacred mill Closes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh that that book just blew me away and it just made me wanna be it made me wanna be part of that if I could. It's like this is the kind of writing I would love to do. And you know, there's so many great writers in this field now. And and, and Don Winslow by the way is, is, is another one who's just um, such a great writer, can write anything. He happens to write crime fiction. Uh, and he has a book coming out in a week called The Force, which is just going to just a staggering, just amazing book. It's sickening how, how, how good this book is. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had Don on your show or not.
0: But... I, I just wrote down scheduled Don Winslow. Yeah, so... yeah absolutely. And this, <laughs> this book is going to be huge. It just it's just amazing. You know, the, when the sacred gin mill closes, that was the book, uh, I think, for me when I read it, that that really drove home the point that genre fiction isn't like one-dimensional it's not just about get your get your kicks out of the you know the setting that you like to read about that it transcends any kind of label that it can be about you know what all good writing is about 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 people and change and struggle and um i i you know and i've never met lawrence block never talked to him i i think i read in a uh interview once though that uh that he initially saw that as the last book in the series for yeah, scudder yeah he did he did uh and he went on to write like another 12 more or something thankfully but uh, yeah. uh and there's a character who uh you know who aged over the the, the life of the series you don't always see yeah. that so uh that's sober and i mean mm-hmm. all these changes in
1: his life mm-hmm. um You really follow the arc of this guy's life. It's just an amazing series, though.
0: Did that uh, inspire you at all when you uh, navigated the Alex McKnight uh, series as far as uh, handling the character from book to book? Really, you know, the first book
1: I wasn't even thinking about, the second one or third one. I really was sort of just finding my way with that series. And I, I, I think I learned a lot just making my way through that. And I, and I, now that, you know, with the Nick Mason series, I think I'm a lot more thoughtful up, up front about exactly how each piece, how each book is like a piece of the larger story and how it, how it's all going to fit together.
0: Yeah. It's almost with a series. You've got the, you know, two completely, you got two separate story arcs, the, the one within the individual book, but there's a character arc that yeah. just keeps going. And that, that's fascinating to me. How, how to, how to navigate that over time. We'll get back to talking with Steve Hamilton in just a moment, but uh, let's take a second to recognize our sponsor. uh, Down and Out Books uh, is the sponsor of Wrong Place Right Crime. And so let's hear what's going on over there. And to fill us in is Editor-in-Chief Eric Campbell. Hey, Eric Campbell here from Down and Out Books.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me on the show, Frank. Real quick, guys, we've got we got some fun things coming out for the end of June. Um, first up, we've got a reissue of Criminal Economics by uh, Eric Bietner. Uh This this book was uh, originally self-pubbed. Then he did a little little run for uh, Blasted Heath, and unfortunately, those guys went away. Uh, but uh, down and outs, luckily, luckily can jump in and pick this one up. Uh, very excited about this. Um, first of many books from Beatner. Uh, I should add. Um, next up is uh, American Static by Tom Pitts. Uh, a, a mysterious stranger named Quinn offers a ride to the main character, Stephen. He gets in the car and begins a journey from which there is absolutely no return. It's a hell of a ride. You guys will really dig that one. It's, this this is the book that uh, Tom Pitts. This this will be the home run for Tom. Lastly, for uh, early July, we've got a book called South of Cincinnati by a cat named Jonathan Ashley. If you haven't heard of him, you will. Uh, This is actually the book two of a series. The first one was released by 280 steps. As many of you know, they're gone. I do have rights for it. We just didn't get it ready in time. We didn't know that it was going down um, the way it did. So South of Cincinnati is a um, follow-up book to uh, the cost of doing business. I think you guys will Find that Jonathan is is growing tremendously as a writer. Another another great book, outstanding book from me. Hey, we'll be uh, we'll be talking to you guys again in in the future. Thanks for having us on the show, Frank.
0: Thanks, Eric. Three very exciting books uh, coming out there. I can tell you, I've already read the uh, Eric Bietner novel *Criminal Economics*, and it is a Quentin Tarantino style. Uh, as only Eric B. Durkin channel it, roller coaster ride uh, with no seatbelt. So I, I highly recommend it. If that if, if that's your thing, you will not be disappointed. I really enjoyed it, and the other two sound pretty exciting as well. So thanks for sponsoring us, Eric, and uh, keep the good books coming. Uh, now let's get back to our discussion with Steve Hamilton. Now, when you were writing that first book and working on that, you obviously had a a regular job at the time and uh and that and i happen to know that was working for ibm uh yeah what what was it you did for ibm
1: just a lot of boring stuff you know a lot of user support and a little bit a little bit of writing for ibm a little bit of writing fiction for ibm i I like to joke Um, (laughs) you know it was the thing but you know i did that for a long time on x but i still wrote 12 books
0: when i was working at ibm so how long uh were you after that first book was published before you uh, quit working at other jobs and and wrote full time?
1: Right. That, yeah, see, that first book was '98, and I just left in 2015. So it was. Oh wow! It, yeah, it was a good 17 years that I was still living that double life and going to the day job during the day and then writing at night, and it's it worked for a long time. I mean, it was it was a lot. You know, it was kind of kind of exhausting, and my coworkers were going vacations and I'd go on book tours and uh-huh. um, it you know they were great there at IBM the people I work with and sort of, this sort of allowed me to have that sort of that solid ground to live on and it actually helped a lot really in in my case I know Dennis Lehane once told me that he would never he, he, he never let himself get a real job you know he, he just which is why he ended up uh, parking cars and doing stuff because he because he knew what he wanted to do mean we all have our different path to get there and Mm -hmm. and in my case with a family and with just uh maybe i'm just a different kind of person i i I needed that solid ground to work off of for a while until i could get to the point where it was time to be a full-time writer
0: did that uh having that that day job uh and that that security did that make you feel like you could take whatever risk you needed to take on the writing front because you knew you know worst case scenario it falls flat and it's not like i put my family at risk with with taking that that
1: Path. That's that's a really good point because especially when I stepped away from the series and wrote *The Lock Artist*, which mm-hmm. was such a different kind of book—young mm-hmm. um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: character, a safecracker who does who happens to not talk at all, doesn't have any dialogue yeah. in the book—that was. Just an adventure of that book. And it took a long time. And I, and I was, it took way longer than I thought. Turned into a whole different kind of book than I thought it would. There were times when I thought it would never come together. And I made a huge mistake, but I kept going. And and really having that solid ground sort of helped me to be able to do that and not have, and I didn't have to give it up and go back to something else just just because I had to. Um, So it really, it really did allow me to find that book which really and if you look at all the books that's the one that really kind of made everything different
0: for me the that's not the only one outside of the mcknight series that you've you've written though you've got another uh book uh And right now the title escapes me, but the guy's name is Joe. He's a parole officer. Yeah, it's night night work. Night night work. There you go. Um, And that's that was a a little bit of a departure from the McKnight uh, sort of setting. I mean, he's on the other side of things, still working officially. And it was, yeah. But he's a little dark too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. That was that was you know, I after I think I'd done seven McKnight books at that point, and I did take a break, and I did do night work with Joe. The probation officer and learned about that whole world and then any you know any, any normal sane person takes that break and comes back but I just had this whole other idea about this young safe cracker and that's why I went right into the lock artist next.
0: How was that received? I mean I, I read it, I liked it I thought it was a, a, a real uh, different you know, voice for you, but it certainly uh, uh, it moved along, and it was and the, the fact that the main character you know isn't speaking and so that you know presents a lot of interesting narrative choices that you have to make and and uh, watching you do that was was pretty cool. Now, I've never looked to see how it how how it did out there. Was It well received. Did people buy a lot of it? Is it kind of your? Uh, I never I never knew he wrote this one book or what, what no. Is this is uh, this this book did
1: a lot. For me. I mean, this book won the Edgar for best novel it uh it won the ian fleming steel dagger over in 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 the uk so i got to go to london and and do that it was great fun and it actually it did it it did really well in japan so you're Um, huge in japan um that book is huge in in japan (laughs) i actually haven't been to japan yet so uh i would i'd love to go there someday but no that that book really you know and that book was was optioned for for film, and I, 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 met my agent, my current agent, through that. Wow. Through that book, so it really did a lot for me. That's a gateway book. It sounds like actually. Yeah, yeah. it it really was.
0: I guess I should have done a little more research. I, I a little arrogant in my. Uh, right. I, I know, I know Steve Hamilton's uh, stance there. Haven't read read so much of you. I didn't. Uh, I didn't look that up. Okay. Uh, you talked about films, though. You have had uh, some of your work made into film uh, a short story uh quite a while ago got made into a movie uh short film called the shovel if i remember exactly. right uh how did that happen what what was the story behind that
1: yeah that was just a short story of a, 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 a young filmmaker named Nick childs uh just wanted to make a break from the stuff he was doing and make a short narrative film and um it was in the it was in the tribeca Film festival and it, and it did well there but you know, I, I, I can brag about it because all I did was just give him the story, and I had nothing to do with it. He did the script, he did all the filming. I just got to go there and watch it being done, which was a, which was a blast because I got to meet David Strathairn, who was he was the star. Right, and right. It was, it was right before. It was right after he he had wrapped on Good Night and Good Luck, mm-hmm. which you know his Edward R. Murrow movie, which right. he nominated for later that year, and it hadn't even. Been out yet so he just had the summer free and he, he did this work for for Nick for a couple of days and it was just a blast just to watch them make a movie all the amazing hard work it takes all the physical labor to make a movie it's like oh the the catering tent is in the shot we have to move the whole cater, you know break it all down and stuff, you know just just to, just to make the shot and now we have to set up for the next thing and put this artificial moon up here for moonlight and just a grueling work just to make a 15 minute film. But Is, if, that, is
0: that all it was? 15?
1: Yeah, it's a 15 minute film, but it was, it I've was, tried
0: to, I tried to find it. Uh, it's uh, tough to, to I find.
1: Think, I think it's on iTunes. Um, is it? Okay. Yeah. I I, I, I believe it is, but you know, and of course in a film like that, nobody makes a dime on it. You right. Do it because you love it. Uh, David worked for scale you know, just because he liked Nick, but it was, it was a really good experience to see that. And when they um, Lionsgate has option Nick Mason now, and that's moving forward. And they'll probably oh good, they'll be shooting next year probably. So that's obviously a much bigger scale thing. Sure. That, that so is, that's
0: that's a done deal then, huh?
1: That is yeah. That's 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 moving forward, and um, that'll be a lot of fun because if if they film it in Chicago, especially where naturally where these books are, mm-hmm. where those books are set, that's just going to be great.
0: Well, you know I, I interviewed uh, Danny Gardner, a, a, a debut novelist uh, uh, last episode, and he's from Chicago and he talked about Chicago in pretty loving terms and even referred to the city as as, as her and she a, a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, and so w- and when when I read the Nick Mason books, both of them really seem to feature that city almost as a as a character in itself. I mean you really you really call up the setting pretty. Pretty heavily. I mean, I, obviously that's purposeful.
1: Yeah, it was. That was, I mean, it's when you start thinking about a new character, you know, for, for Alex, I knew he was from Detroit, just where he's from as part of him. Uh, when I was thinking of Nick, it just, he felt like he had to come from the south side of Chicago. He was just, that. that just felt like the place for him. And growing up in Michigan, I thought I knew Chicago a little bit. I really got to know the city so much better when I went there. And spent time there and just hung out with police officers and journalists and just hung out with people at the at the at the corner bar. Just go and listen to people talk about this place. And it and it really is I mean, it's a it's a city of neighborhoods in a way that I mean, every city has neighborhoods, but this but Chicago has neighborhoods. And you're from this place. You're from Oak Park, you're from Canaryville, you're from Englewood. It's like this is the part. This is the place that you're from. And I really got to sort of get that rhythm and, and I tried to just make it come through in this book how Mason is is from the South Side and he goes back and he comes back and he's living in this townhouse in Lincoln Park. Which is still Chicago, but it's a different world for him.
0: And so the the identity of, of Nick Mason or anybody from Chicago is firmly rooted in where they where they grew up, where they come from. That that's a big piece of who they are. That absolutely is, yeah. Um, hey, circling back around to David Strathern, Stray- is that how you say his yeah, name? Yeah. Uh Tremendous actor. Oh, uh,
1: amazing.
0: What, do you have a favorite movie of his that uh, he's been in?
1: Oh God, he's been in
0: so many. He's, yeah.
1: He had that small part in LA Confidential, but I'm trying. And Dolores Claiborne.
0: He he did a, a couple of movies with John Sayles early on. Yeah, that's my personal favorite is is Limbo that he was in. I thought he was tremendous in that.
1: Oh right, uh, yeah. With the with the with the with the the, the sort of stranded. Yeah, the one that changes
0: yeah, direction. like with that mid- ending.
1: That, the ending yeah. movie is, yeah. just, is just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if you accepted
0: the ending almost.
1: Yeah, but yeah. It's intentionally sort of infuriating and, and in, inconclusive, you know.
0: It's so well done because, I mean, that movie, you know, for those who haven't seen it, no, spoiler alert, but the, the movie, you know, happens up there in Alaska, and for a long time it seems like it's a relationship movie. And then all of a sudden they're out in the middle of that bay on the boat. Yep. And his no good brother gets shot and the drug dealers are trying to kill him and they're stranded in the middle of Alaska and suddenly it's a survival against the elements and don't be caught by the bad guys when they come back sort of movie. But it's really not. It's really still a relationship movie. And when that ending happens, I think the reason it's clear to me anyway, the reason that John Sayles didn't resolve it is because the important questions about those characters had all been resolved before that point and so Mm -hmm. who was on that plane uh, you know it mattered in terms of whether they lived or died but it didn't (laughs) matter in terms of whether their character arc was complete so that's an interesting
1: way of looking at it yeah
0: i i totally dug it man i i uh i like those kind of ambiguous endings when they're purposeful like that exactly
1: Uh, yeah exactly and it it takes it takes some bravery to do that just like you know when the ending of of the sopranos you know the way they exactly yeah Uh, on that down like
0: that yeah, I, and I, you know, I, I was just as surprised as anybody when that. Uh, I mean, I watched it live. I thought my cable went out for a few exactly. seconds too. Everybody
1: you know? in, the, in the country <laughs> thought
0: that. Right? Literally,
1: every single person in the country thought, "What happened? Did my did my cable just go out?" I mean, that's so. Which is a weird way to to because you have to know that's what everybody's going to think. It's like and, yeah, and you have go and get to just go for that
0: because it's. I don't know. It was it was pretty amazing. This pretty uh, pretty gutsy move, and and David Chase uh, took a lot of, uh, did uh, crap over it for a long time. But uh, the, you know, a- after I got over the initial shock of it, I, I love the ending personally. Yeah,
1: I, yeah. I mean, yeah. And there's there's like these ten thousand word essays that try to sort of explain what really you know all the symbolism in, in those last scenes, mm-hmm. and the co- even the colors that they used in the restaurant, and all this stuff, yeah. and it's just it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. You can really dig deep into this stuff
0: is he dead do you think what's your what's your vote i think he's dead yeah, yeah i think he got whacked too i think he got whacked. but uh, how else could that series end really i mean you know he really sort of has to yeah <laughs> we'll get back to steve hamilton's interview in just a moment but first let's talk to the experts in the field and by experts i do mean bookstore owners uh, we've had a good run talking to Robin Agnew and Linda Bond, and so we're going to touch base with them one more time. Let's start in Madison, Wisconsin, with Robin Agnew of Aunt Agatha's Bookshop. Hi, Robin.
3: Hi. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. What are you What are you What are you interested in this time?
3: Well, I'd like to talk about an author that my husband and I both love. She is from, I think, Vancouver Island, and her name is Chevy Stevens. And she writes um, thrillers that, uh, for some reason, they should be just too scary to read, but they're not. Um, She's a very empathic writer, and her new novel is called Never Let You Go, and it's about an abused wife that gets out of her bad situation, but she ends up being again by her ex-husband and the way she puts a book together is always unexpected you never forget the characters and she's just a, a wonderful writer and i think um underappreciated and she should be more appreciated in my opinion
0: well i'm glad you brought her up then i'll have to check her out thanks a lot you said <laughs> we will talk to you soon all righty thanks robin thanks <laughs> And now let's check in with Linda Bond at Auntie's Bookstore in Spokane, Washington. Hi, Linda.
1: Hi,
3: Frank. We're back again, and now this time I'm going to take you to the Shetland Islands. There's a series of shows on TV called Shetland, and uh, they're based on books by Anne Cleves. It's a fascinating one because it's got a lot of interesting characters in it, but I didn't know anything about the Shetland Islands until I started reading these books and then seeing the show. And anybody who likes the current times in the U.K. will enjoy this. The first, the first one um, out earlier, it's been a few years ago, but their newest one is The Cold Earth. And I think you ought to check into it if you like uh, Current Crime and um, the Shetland Islands.
0: Sounds great. Thanks again, Linda.
3: Thank you, Frank. Take care.
0: Well, there you go, folks. A couple of great recommendations from some great people And I gotta tell you, the writer experience and the reader experience is uh, pretty much both the same when you go into these bookstores. They are tremendous people. They support authors, they help readers, and they are just, they're just cool people. So uh, support your local bookstores. Uh, If you're going to buy a book in print, uh, no reason not to walk into that, the local independent bookstore and, and pick it up there. And now let's get back to our conversation with Steve Hamilton. Is there a Michigan connection Definitely, with you? I, I was born
1: and raised in Michigan. Um, I actually I've never lived in the UP, which is the first thing I tell people when I go up there. Because um, if, if they have a they have an expression for people who live below the bridge, which is which is a troll. <laughs>
0: That's funny,
1: <laughs> no, if you weren't born and raised and live up there in the UP, you're really not a UPER. Really, <laughs> they've, they've been so cool, they've, they've accepted me as sort of an adopted UPER. It's you know, it's uh, about seven percent of the state lives
0: up there, it's a different world. How, how much of the state land wise, though, is it? Is it like 50 60 percent of the state? But no, um... it's
1: probably uh, I'm gonna say 40 oh, they're
0: pretty substantial,
1: 30, 35 to 40 percent. Yeah, I mean, just it's just. I mean, it's amazing if you ever go up there, you will drive for an hour and you'll see a couple cars and then you'll go back down below the bridge to just a town, just a town like Traverse city. And you'll feel like you're in times square because it's, it's just so empty up there, but it's, there's a very brief time that they call summer in, like in July and it's just the most beautiful place in the world. And part of what makes it so beautiful is that it is so fleeting because the, because the winters are so long and hard up there that when they have a beautiful day, it's just like the most amazing
0: gift. It's just a special place. It sounds cool. And I'll tell you, I feel like I know the place just based on reading, you know, what Alex describes and, and, and everything. And you, you set those books in uh, all different seasons. I mean, you get to see the winters up there, you get to see yeah. the spring, the summer, the fleeting summer. Yeah uh so you know i mean I, I guess i have to commend you for how well you represented it because i mean i i've never been there and i i feel like i know the place and that oh, i think that that's that's damn good writing when, when someone can 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 do that so you, you wrote the nick mason novel and then um for some reason you ended up jumping to to another publisher what uh, what's the what's the what, what occurred the short version is that I had had the same publisher
1: for all 17 years and 12 books, and we actually were going to come out with Nick Mason this new series with with St. Martin's, and we got close to the release date, and we just realized that we all these promises about how things were going to be different and better, and you know, it's just we just realized it wasn't it wasn't going to happen, and we just decided this this book was too important to to let it just not have a chance and we made a really sort of gut-wrenching terrifying decision to leave
0: when you say we you mean you and your your agent yeah
1: yeah
0: ultimately though it was the right decision i mean uh, huh. the the uh, the response from the publishing world was essentially a bidding war uh for for the second life of nick mason if i if i if i read if i'd read the tabloids right <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. was. You know, we. Uh, if you know anything about me,
1: you know I'm not gonna go out. And, uh, the last thing I wanted was to make a big thing that would be on the, pub, on the front page of. Publishes. Sure. Uh, it sort of turned into that, and the next day, you know, actually the next day, 24 hours later, we hit signed with Putnam, and it, that's. I've been with them since.
0: Well, you launched two great books, and it's been optioned for filming as being that's being that's going forward, and I mean that you can't ask for a better result than that right you're right you're right did very no, uh, very lucky so the new alex mcknight is that also with uh, putnam then yes yes oh, it is okay will the will the other ones come over eventually or how's that work i don't
1: know that's a business thing that i have no idea i mean St. martin's has the backlist and they're still available i honestly don't know if they'd ever if they'd ever move those
0: one of the things we do on the show is uh, get in touch with small bookstores and that are you know independent bookstores, mystery mm-hmm. bookstores, and they give uh, recommendations uh, like what they what they you know underappreciated books or what you should be reading now and that that sort of thing. And one of the bookstores uh, that's done it a couple of times here was uh, Agatha's Mystery Bookshop there in uh, in Madison. But pretty much everywhere I talk, I gotta tell you, Steve, people will say the same thing about you, and that is that uh, that you're a hell of a nice guy. And no, so, I guess I just I'm saying that because uh, you characterized all those those heroes in that room uh, as as being just the most down to earth and nicest mm-hmm. people, and 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 obviously you've taken your your, your cue from them because uh, you know you, you anywhere you go that's 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 the that's the book on on Steve Hamilton, you know, no. nice well,
1: guy. Well, thank you, and uh, and I mean you're right. I think these guys have modeled how to handle success, how to be how to share success and be modest and be, you know, just, just be yourself. And I really couldn't think of doing it any other
0: way. That's, that's a nice thing about this, this field is uh, it, uh, you know, maybe there are some people who are cutthroat. I, I don't know, I, but I've yet to really come across many, if any, there if re- might be a couple, but they sort of stand out.
1: It's like, why are you being this way? This is not how it works in this field. We're all just cool laid back
0: and we help each other. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we really do. You said you're working on the next uh, Nick Mason and uh, there's a new Alex McKnight coming out probably sometime next year. So, uh, and you're going to be visiting the set of a movie pretty soon. So that's exciting. That'll be really
1: cool. I'll I'll, just be a blast. I I know a lot of writers like to be blase about it, but it's like, I'm just going to enjoy it. And if I, you know, if I get to walk down a red carpet with my family and go see a, go see a movie, you know, that it'll just be a lot of fun.
0: Any ca- Any casting news yet or have we gotten to that point?
1: Well, we have to, um, we're still building the time machine that it will take to go back and get the young Steve McQueen. <laughs>
0: with, uh, with Mason, so that, we're still
1: working on that one, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, that would be a
1: perfect fit though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. T- you need somebody like- the toughest guy in the room, but never
0: has to prove it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, and, and has that other side of him too—that human side—and that's that's what you need.
0: So, uh, do you, I mean, if you had your druthers of uh, today, actors today, any of them jump out at you?
1: I honestly
0: don't know. I, uh, just yeah. somebody good. It's it's kind yeah. of funny with your own work. Uh, uh, people ask because I've had people ask the same question: "Hey, if somebody's going to play yeah. Katie McLeod yeah. in a movie, who would it be?" You know, and course the first thing i think is wow a movie that would be awesome yeah well, but but it's really hard to because when you're writing a character you know that character is so alive in your head and so individual in your head and right. imagining you know somebody else playing him is like saying well who would play you in a movie right but for other people it's easy for them to read your yeah, stuff and say uh, yeah, yeah yeah well is, uh,
1: the one thing i can say is, is that it won't be tom cruise Guys, <laughs> <because> tom cruise <laughs> Is Jack Reacher now. So. Yeah,
0: so that won't work. That won't work. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I don't usually think in those terms. So Right. Uh, be there, now there's
1: a little joke there, of course, because, as you know, a lot of people really haven't accepted Tom. Page oh, no, of- I know. Jack Reacher. But so that's, that's a thing that can happen with a series like that. You have such a strong image in your head of who this guy is, especially if he's described on the page a certain mm-hmm. way. That, that certainly mm-hmm. is a big part of it.
0: Uh, it's um, happening right now with uh, the Stephen King uh, the Dark Tower film with, oh, right, the, with, with Idris Elba. Uh,
1: yeah. Although he he's just so good. I'm, I have no problem with that at all.
0: I I actually applaud it. I I mean, yeah, f- he doesn't physically resemble the description of of uh, of uh, Roland uh, Deschain the gunslinger, okay. but he certainly he has the aura of exactly. that character, I think. Exactly.
1: So, that yeah. that's way more important than that. I agree.
0: I agree. Uh, who who'd play Alex McKnight? Any ideas there?
1: i you know i honestly i've you know as much as i can see them making a good movie out of nick mason i've never let anybody touch alex mcknight it, would, it just seems like it's how do you get that right how, how do you get yeah. him right and how do you get the up right without either turning it into a cartoon like like fargo yeah. or just taking it somewhere else instead setting it
0: in, in miami or something um what about if it were a uh uh, like an HBO yeah series, yeah. like a True Detective sort of eight 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 episodes per book right. sort of thing,
1: and those those were at least I mean I mean the first season of that was was really good. Um, it would have to be something like that, but I still honestly don't know who would play him.
0: Well, hopefully somebody cool because I got—he's still my favorite character of yours. I'm digging Mick, Nick Mason quite a bit, but uh, Alex, Alex McKnight's the man where I'm at. So, well, thank you. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I know you're busy touring and and uh, and getting the next book going. So, it's, it's kind of you to take the time. And uh, you know, we we've, we've exchanged emails over the years and and never had the chance to bump into you in person. So, I look forward to. Maybe the opportunity to raise a glass at one of these conferences sometime.
1: Me too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.
0: Wow. Uh, that was pretty cool for me to be able to interview Steve Hamilton. I've been a longtime fan. I love his, I love his books, especially the Alex McKnight series. Uh, but I'm really digging Nick Mason pretty excited about that movie coming out next time on wrong place right crime we're going to be interviewing longtime prolific short story master john floyd we caught up with him for our quick hit flash forward questions and here's what he had to say john floyd what city do you live in now i live in brandon mississippi suburb of jackson favorite writer
3: joe r lansdale from east texas i'm crazy about him
0: your favorite movie?
3: Once Upon a Time in the West.
0: Favorite television show? The Sopranos. Is Tony Soprano alive or dead?
3: I imagine by now he's
0: dead. <laughs> uh, do you have a nickname? J- Johnny. What are you working on right now?
3: Right now I'm writing a story that I'm, I, I imagine I will send to Al Hitchcock or El
0: What hobby do you have that has nothing to do
3: with writing? Uh, playing the guitar.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Favorite musician? John Barry. Five-second advice to aspiring writers? Don't quit. Where would you like to go that you've never been? New Zealand. What's your favorite quote?
3: Outside of a dog, man's best friend is a book. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read.
0: (laughs) Groucho Marx.
3: It was. It was Groucho.
0: (laughs) Excellent. And now
3: you
1: know something more about John Floyd, our guest for episode four. This is Nico, Frank Zafiro's son. And before we sign off, I thought we'd get an update about what he's been working on. So, what have you been working on?
0: Uh, Well, thanks for asking. I have been plunking away at the Fifth River City book for a little while now, but a couple other projects have gotten in the way of that. One of them is... uh, A book that uh, Colin Conway brought to me that uh, he's been working on uh, in his head for a little while and he wanted to do it as a collaborative project. It's called Charlie 316. I just finished the first draft of that and I'm super excited about it. Not anymore on that. It's going to be pretty cool. It really tackles the idea of uh, police-public relations and race and perception and people's individual, their individual ambition, and it's all wrapped up in a procedural mystery with some action. And so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Sounds interesting. Uh, any other projects? I'm working on a uh, short story that I think I may have mentioned before. It's called Details in Black, and it's uh, my entry into the Black Car Business anthology that my friend Larry Kelter is editing for Down and Out Books. Uh, I was working on it, and it kind of slowed down a little bit with uh, Charlie 316 coming in, and the due date for that's coming up. So I will have that to you, Larry, I promise. Is
3: that all you have, or do you have any more projects?
0: Um, a couple of projects that I'll be making uh, formal announcements for pretty soon, and uh, I'll have more to say about that as we get a little closer to it, maybe on the next show. All
3: right. That sounds great. And um, turn the mic back over to you now.
0: Well, thanks, son. Thanks for coming on the show. Yep, yeah, my pleasure. And uh, thanks to Steve Hamilton for being interviewed and to Linda Bond and Robin Agnew, as always, for some great book recommendations. Looking forward to episode four with John Floyd. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro, along with my son Nico, reminding you:
1: sometimes you have to be in the wrong place to write crime.